beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black and uh, very a little bit different episode today. We get a chance to speak with someone we've had on before, a very bright, beautiful individual, very upbeat, and uh, let's just get right into it. So her name is Shelby Forsythia, and she is an intuitive grief guide and host of the podcast, Coming Back, Conversations on Life and Loss. Uh, she was on episode 52, where she talked about her dreams of her mom. So definitely go check out episode 52 uh, when you get a chance and you can get uh, a full in-depth interview of Shelby, uh, which we definitely enjoyed. Shelby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be back with you guys today. Yeah. And uh, before I forget, we just wanted to give a shout out to Chicago, Illinois area, which is where Chicago, where where Shelby is from. Yes, absolutely. Um, my sister always makes the joke that uh, North Carolina is born is where I was born and raised, but then Chicago for me is home. I call it home all the time. She's like, no, no, get it right. Make sure that you tell people you're fr- from the South. But uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. feel Chicago is truly home. Yeah, we'll give a shout out to the, the South as well, North uh, and, and even South Carolina we have love for as well. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So for the uh, what we love about these guest updates is we get to talk about other dreams you've had since and maybe some that we didn't get a chance to when you were first on the podcast. And I learned about a new dream just, you know, listening to your own podcast about a dream you, that your partner had at the time that you own that basically had a message for you. And I was like, oh man, I wish you would have said that, <laughs> that dream <laughs> on our podcast. So, you know, for this, could you go back to maybe give him a little uh, background on what happened and why that dream was influential in your grief journey? Yeah, yeah, it was wicked weird. And I think the podcast I was talking about that on was also talking about like the weird, intuitive, otherworldly, almost like um, like the spooky stuff that happens to us in the aftermath of loss of stuff you can't explain to your friends. Or if you do, like their faces get all weird, um, especially if they haven't experienced death or anything related to like communications for the other side in their lives yet. But my mom died December 26, 2013. And I didn't really know like where she went. I grew up in a Christian home, but I had kind of rejected my beliefs about God in high school and college and wasn't really sure what I believed about where we go when we die. And I was dating a woman at the time who was very, very intuitive. And I knew that in her family, they believed like they had a a ghost of a former homeowner in their basement who would just like hang out like a friendly ghost. And, And she just like believed in things like that. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But I don't know if I was entirely like on board with her. But less than a week after my mom died, my girlfriend at the time, I don't remember if she said this over a text message or over a call, but she essentially said, I had a dream of your mom and she came to me and she has a message for you. And I was like, I don't know what this means. Cause here's me. I wasn't the person having the dream. I was hearing about a dream that somebody else had about my mother. And granted, we talked on my first appearance on grief dreams about how my mom died without accepting my sexuality as a woman who dates women. And so the fact that she came through a dream with the girl I was dating at the time was just like, it blew my mind. I don't know if I really believed it initially, but the the message like instantly like snap made me believe it. And I said, well, what was the message? What did she come to you and say? She said, it was really weird. She showed up and all she said was, thank you for the pizza. And I was like, 
what on earth does that mean? (laughs) And then like instantly I had this flooding feeling in my body and I was like, oh my God, that is the last real meal that we ate as a family before she died. Um, Because she found out that she was going to die on December 18th or 19th. And she didn't really found out she was going to die per se, but she knew that she was not going to elect to have any more surgeries uh, to like slow the spread of her cancer. The um, Duke Hospital told us that everything would be not a cure at this point, but just a delay of the inevitable. And she's like, I'm not going to keep having surgeries if that's the case, because they're painful and exhausting. And um, there's a chance I might die in surgery as well. So she's like, if I have a choice, I'm going to die at home. Uh, And we called in hospice. And pretty close after that day, we asked her what she wanted for dinner. And she had been on this very healthy, like vegan vegetables, lots of like green things in our house kick to try and help not cure her cancer necessarily, but help to starve off inflammation and things like that with food. And so she had been eating nothing but like really healthy stuff for the probably the last year or so of her life. And when she found out that there was no cure anymore, that she was kind of on the road to dying, we just didn't know how long. She's like, oh, I really want pizza from that place down the street. There was a place down the road uh, from our house called Mimi's. And we just loved how they did that pizza. And we got a large cheese and a large pepperoni and a bunch of breadsticks. And I remember we all sat around our kitchen table and that was the last meal that we had where all four of us were sitting there together and where she was fully conscious and, and breathing and talking and, and laughing and just hanging out with us. And that, I think that was the last time too, that she could have like really truly solid food because she declined very quickly when she did die. And so the fact that she came through my girlfriend at the time in a dream and said, thank you for the pizza as her one message. I'm like, of all the things you could say to me after you died, you're going to thank me for the pizza. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was just totally unbelievable. And it blew my mind. And I think it's really cool that it came through in that first week or two after she died, because it instantly opened me up to the possibility that, oh, I can receive more messages like this. Like it didn't happen so far after that. I was like, oh, like this can't possibly be true. Or like, I hadn't even started working on my grief yet. There wasn't time. Like I was still in pain. And so the fact that this came through so early on, and it was something that was so funny, and it was something that only she and my immediate family would know was like, a trifecta of, oh, this is real. You are going to start visiting me in dreams. Wow, that's wild. And do you think it was on purpose? Like, do you think she may have tried to get to you and just like maybe you couldn't remember that dream? Or do you think she intentionally wanted to come through your girlfriend as almost a message to say, I I know and I accept like your sexuality? I like the second one better. It just makes me happier to think about it and like through that lens. I also don't think, and I think I talked about this a little bit on coming back too, is that before my mom died, I was I would not have ever called myself an intuitive person. So like I did not do things like study dreams or write them down or work with crystals or right now I work with like runes and I do things like Reiki practices. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't focus on energy or things of like anything that wasn't logical, I didn't really focus on. And it's not because I hated it or thought it was like voodoo or anything like that. I just didn't have access to it or didn't understand it. And so I didn't see why I needed to incorporate it into my life. Whereas my girlfriend at the time had always grown up in a very intuitive family. And after her grandmother died, she had uh, dreams and visions of her pretty instantly. She would be a great guest for this podcast, actually. But uh, she would communicate with her on a regular basis and just kind of grew up fostered in that mentality of like, this is okay and happens on a regular basis. And they would talk about it pretty openly. And so I think it's, I think it's kind of double, like I'm coming through your girlfriend 
to show you that I'm going to continue to talk to you and that you do have intuitive gifts, but also as an acceptance of if I'm okay using her as a channel for you, that I'm okay with with the relationship and with your sexuality as a whole. I think it was like a double a double meaning there. Definitely, and that's what dreams can do uh, is is provide a, a space and an an image, a clip of something that can that when once you start thinking about it, you can unravel it and it can provide with a lot more than you initially thought. Like it's a simple concept, you know. Your mom comes visits you, says pizza, but it means so much more. I have a burning question that I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, have as well, which is, was it Chicago deep dish or was it (laughs) what is traditional pizza? I have to tell you, I did not try Chicago deep dish until after my mom's death. So it was traditional. It's traditional pizza. It wasn't New York style thin crust. And that's my all time favorite, which like, sorry, Chicago. It's the one thing I can't stand uh, (laughs) about it. The winters are fine. The pizza is terrible. Um, Oh, but I I haven't had a chance to try it. It's, yeah, it's, it's decent. It's good. It's just you have to be ready for lasagna with a crust is like what yeah, you have to be ready for. Yeah, it's not. It I like, like and I like that pizza you can fold in half. That's like the size of your head that you just fold in half and just eat yeah. that way. But yeah, totally, totally. And it was good pizza. We ordered from that place on a pretty regular basis to the point where I believe after my mom died, the owner said something to my dad or he would send free food along with the pizza for a while, like about up to six months after she died. I feel like something happened with that pizza place relative you to know, her death. Like the whole, know why, the whole city right? knew. You know I why, mean, right? pizza heals the soul. <laughs> no, because your mom came to him saying, give my family free food. <laughs> they can't take care of themselves without me there. So send them all the free pizza you got. That's funny. No, that's probably, but, that, that would be interesting too, if that was real. But you're right. A pizza does feed the soul. It's been my favorite food for a long time. I'm non-discriminatory. I'll take deep dish. I'll take New York style, definitely. But it's one of those things that when you eat it with a family, you know, everybody's taking a slice and it's something you can sit around. And I'm sure you've been eating it since childhood and it has a lot of uh, different things attached to it. So I feel you on that vibe. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing, I mean, pizza, it's just... It's so good. It's a massive comfort food for sure. But the fact that that was the last thing she wanted. Um, and I don't think she knew it was going to be the last thing either. But the, the fact that it was was very significant. And that's why it meant so much when it came through in the dream. I, I think it's, it's super cool about even just like the message, like people getting messages from others when it comes to the dreams. And I've seen this actually a lot, which it makes makes me sit in the mystery of life because like, you're like why does that person need to get that dream like why can't that person just get their own dream right like why why you know and i still haven't figured that out yet but there's a bunch of people i've heard where they get this dream of individual and sometimes it's a repeated dream and it's the same sort of message like tell so and so that i'm okay or that i love them and then it takes a lot of courage for them to then approach sometimes it's not an immediate family member it's just like someone that they know and then they go and they have to sort of say that message. And sometimes it's, it really, it helps them, helps them a lot to yeah. believe and to feel supported. But I like in my own mind, it's like, but the, the why factor is always an interesting thing for me and to, to sort of understand what's going on in these dreams. Because on like an academic level, it's very hard to understand why that would exist. Unless like you're, um, the person's really wanting support or wanting, you know, to help you out in a way that, 
they just don't know and it comes through in their own mind but like there's that magical part where it's like maybe it's you know maybe it's them and and it gives you the griever a little more hope too because it gets coming from someone else which is you know it's its own miracle I love that you said magic because bring to mind as you said that and it's actually a book by my favorite author and one of the best questions that you ever asked me Josh was if I had a dream guest for my podcast who would it be and it's the author of this book her name is Elizabeth Gilbert and the book that she wrote is called Big Magic and it's about the subtitles creative living beyond fear and it's about how creative ideas she has a theory that they kind of just float around in the universe and they look for like what she would refer to as like host bodies to enact creative ideas. And so all these ideas are just floating around in the ether. And if we're, if we're distracted or if we're standing in the shower or if we're thinking we want to do something creative and creativity sees us in like a split second, it's like, Oh, see if you can get into that person and get your idea made through that human. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think of like grief dreams the same way. So like if we're busy or distracted or like in the throes of grief so bad that a dream either wouldn't be heard or wouldn't make sense to us when we come through, it finds another like host quote unquote to try and get, to us too. And I think creativity works that same way too. Like ideas for for books or art projects or, or comedy skits or something. It's like if somebody's busy working on something else, the idea will still come through. It just won't come through you. It will come through somebody else. And that has kind of helped. I don't know that there's absolutely no logic or proof to it at all. But as, a, as somebody who dreams um, and has delivered dream messages to other people, maybe on like one or two occasions, I'm like, okay, maybe I just need it to be the host this time. Mm. That's fascinating because how many times I've heard in my life of creative people or people who are driven by something, how many times have they said that, you know, I'm merely the vehicle, you know, and people seem to grasp that idea of that, like, hey, there's something beyond me. There's something more powerful. And I'm merely just you know, I'm, you know, I'm just reenacting this. I'm just the vehicle for this mechanism, for this big idea, for this creative endeavor. That's cool. Yeah. And a lot of times like creativity, we don't really know where dreams come from. They just show up and we're like, how'd you get here? And then they're like, that's not really the point. The point is to, to enjoy the process as it's happening or enjoy the gift of the dream. And what a gift that was, I got to say, I'm glad you got to share it here on the podcast and wow some minds <laughs> on you know, and also what's thank possible you to my girlfriend at the time because this i mean it 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 takes a i think a brave person also a bold person to be like i had a dream with a message i think is for you to even be willing to share that because you can be a host person but never open your mouth very true very true and so moving forward you have a new dream i believe yeah, I have a couple. Uh, the first one I actually posted in the Grief Dreams Facebook group because it made me laugh. I said, uh, the first couple lines, I said I had a horrifying and yet humorous dream of my mom's death last night. And so it was one that both like scared the crap out of me. And then by the time I woke up, I was laughing. And usually that doesn't happen. Usually I'll have dreams that either reenact her death and I feel like she's dying all over again, or I have dreams where she literally will come to visit me and there's nothing but positive emotions flowing through. So I really have one that's both together, but this one was. And to kind of put this in uh, a little bit of context, um, I had an engagement breakup in 2017, I believe it was, uh, in May of 2017. And that the pain of losing that relationship was not 
quite as great as the pain of losing my mom, but there were a lot of like hopes, dreams, and expectations that died with the death of this relationship. And I was so frustrated with the way it was turning out and the person that my ex-fiance became uh, that I just, I let my emotion out by screaming a lot. And you can't scream a lot in an apartment in the city of Chicago or else the police get called on you because they think either someone else is getting hurt or you're hurting yourself or, or like something bad is happening. Like we have neighbors. Um, and so there was, one, there was one point where I was so frustrated. I just like needed to let my grief through my vocal cords. And I screamed so much that I like passed out. And when I came to my roommate was sitting on the floor next to me and this cop was like standing in my room. Cause he, had gotten a wellness check from one of my neighbors. Uh, and he's like, I just need to see that she's alive and okay. And hasn't hurt herself or anybody else. Cause I don't know if they thought it was a domestic violence situation. I don't know if they thought that I was, had a mental breakdown. I don't know what they thought happened, but someone called the police on us. And so, and it turned out to be fine. And he ended up being like this oddly sympathetic police officer who was like, Oh, I'm going through a divorce right now myself. And so like, I know that heartbreak really sucks. And he didn't quite say it that way, but he tried to empathize the best a cop can when they're making a wellness check. And there's like three other cop cars on the way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I was fine. I was like, I'm fine. I just needed to like scream. Like my life sucks right now. And I wasn't saying things that coherently. And I know I wasn't, but it was just one of those things where it's like, sometimes you live in the middle of the city and you can't go out to the woods to yell into nothingness. So you Mm -hmm. do the best you can with what you have. Um, But uh, so that puts this dream in some context. And I'll actually just read what I wrote in the grief dreams group. It says, I had a horrifying and yet humorous dream of my mom's death last night. I sat with her as she died, crying and aching as she took her last breaths watching her eyes move and trying to stay alive for me. And then I put in parentheses in real life, I was not with her when she died. So this was a very surreal experience to be right next to her as she was dying. Uh, In the dream after her death, a bunch of my friends and I all drove out to a bridge with the intention of quote unquote, releasing our griefs. When we got to the bridge railing that was looking over the water, we yelled and howled and hooped and hollered and raged together. I felt my body crack open and it felt like I was exposed to sharp, icy wind. It felt very painful and very, very exhilarating. The next thing I knew, a bunch of police officers showed up. Apparently someone was upset by a bunch of wailing women on a bridge. When the police arrived, they looked at me for an explanation and my friend this is a friend i have in real life her name is susan she blurted out oh shelby her mom died she just yells a lot <laughs> <laughs> and so i literally woke up from this dream and i was cackling because i'm like of course that would be the ones that my friends see me through of oh shelby she just yells a lot like so much that the police get called and it was just hilarious to me to feel both of these things in the same dream. Like I, I I felt like this icy wind of feeling like icicles were going through my chest of being really cold and like being next to my mom and, and watching her eyelids move and her face. Like I was, I had this zoomed in picture of her face. Uh, and then we were like huge panoramic view, something like as big as the Hoover Dam, like something really big with a body of water next to it. We were just like gripping onto the railing and almost hurling ourselves over it, like with how strong we were yelling. And then the police show up and everybody's laughing. So it was just a wild, bizarre juxtaposition to have all of this happen within the course of one dream. Wow. That, uh, you know, that, that brings to mind, we just spoke to Kevin Toulis recently, and he talked a lot about the ancient Irish tradition of keening, which is shouting and being open to crying out loud and, and how that is a cathartic, almost therapeutic a method of grieving and you it seems like you know based off what you told us you know it's not as much and you know even 
around where I live, maybe not as uh, conducive for that type of grieving. Because again, people will call the cops on you or, or people will start to wonder. And, and I'm sure that, that it sits in your mind like that. But you're able to do that in the dream. You were allowed to have that space in, in that dream. And that's pretty wild. It was really like the one thing I wanted to do as my mom was dying and after she died was yell. And I was like, but there's no place to yell. It seems like, I mean, we of course we have all of these invisible rules about what's allowed and not allowed in grief. I'm sorry, my cat is, he's on my feet. We have all these rules about what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do in grief and all these timelines, like what, what a year looks like, what 10 years looks like, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know that a lot of people are talking about the fact that a lot of grief is made to be silent. And when I, I feel like I Googled at some point in the aftermath of my loss, I was Googling like, why do I want to yell when I'm sad? And I, <laughs> I came up on this uh, article about the Irish tradition of keening at funerals and people would literally hire women who would yell to attend, like even if they were not related to the deceased at all, they would hire these women who could wail really, really loud at funerals to to convey the pain that everybody in the audience that was attending the ceremony was feeling. And I was like, man, I would love that job. Like, because it it's something that just needed to come out of me. Like, I can't even really explain where it came from, but I felt this enormous pressure on my chest. Like as she was dying, I would lock myself in the cab of my dad's truck that was parked in the garage. Cause I knew I was safe there. And like, it was, it wasn't like quiet per se, but it was insulated by the cab of the truck. But then there were the, were the walls of the garage and there were the walls of our house. So like our neighbors were fine, but, but going back to Chicago and being in like a, a apartment environment, it's not as easy to, to hit the release valve. And sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you can put it off like to go on a retreat or like, be in a place by yourself or, or drive out to the woods or something like that. But sometimes you're like, I just got to yell. And so it was funny that like I experienced all this pain. I needed to yell in the dream. And then the cops showed up just like they did in real life. But this time I was, you know, surrounded by friends and everyone was laughing. And, you know, it's just a weird, hilarious part of my identity now. Like, oh, Shelby, she just likes to yell a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's pretty cool on the sense that you got to release that emotion within the dream right you got to yell but then you got to wake up laughing and it was like it's almost like uh it regulated your emotions really well and really fast in the sense of what it was because if you just woke up yelling you would have had a different emotion but because of the friend and because of what they said it it didn't seem like it was as um sad almost or as frustrating it was almost there's this humor with it and so i think that's pretty cool i'm curious why because you said, I think the dream was in January. Was there a specific reason why you were feeling that way? Was it like, was it just bawling up yourself? Or was there like a, a moment in that? Some, you know, sometimes events or dates can trigger us. And if you don't let it, uh, let it out, sometimes it can, it can manifest through our dreams. Was, do you think there was anything about the date in January or around that time that was significant? Or was it just one of those dreams that, that came because it needed to? I mean, if I had to put really, if I had to try to fit it into some kind of number spectrum or anything like that, it would be uh, about a month after my mom died. Like my body would be remembering what it felt like to be a month out from my mom's death because she died December 26th. And I had this dream on January 27th and not in the same year, of course, but I think our bodies oftentimes will revert back to what we experienced and what we felt like during our grief. 
And so it's been five years, but it would have been five years to the day that my mom had been gone a month. Um, but I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't on my mind. Like I stopped counting the months probably after the first two years or so. And so I didn't really retain that. But I think winter in general is hard. I think when when things are gray and the holidays are definitely over and like, and it just seems to be this endless cold and darkness, I have a lot more grief dreams. Actually, um, one other one that I can share whenever we have a second happened on January 10th. And so this this window of time, I didn't even notice this as a trend. So I appreciate you asking this question. I didn't notice this as a trend, but the time between the day that we found out that she was going to die, which was December 19th, and then about her birthday, which is March 22nd, I probably have more visitations, grief dreams, reenactments, anxiety attacks, things that happen while I'm sleeping. I think where my body is remembering what it was like to process her being physically gone for the very first time. And I never put all those in a pile together before. I don't know if there were uh, many grief dreams to, to put together in a pile, but now that I have timestamps on all of them, I appreciate you having this Facebook group so I can share the dreams and then have the date that I shared on there because I, I never lumped them all into these months before. But yeah, there's about a four month window of time between December and March that that they seem to roar up a little bigger than normal. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, because I'm just always curious about timing of things. It's like, why now kind of thing at all the days. And it's interesting as you're talking about, you know, how the body does almost keep track. It's almost like timeless. You know, our wounds are timeless and it keeps track even though we con- consciously are not. And I think that's interesting. I think, you know, there's something beautiful about that in a way. And it allows us to remember even when we forget. Like I know sometimes around, like, remember even like around Father's Day, I would get these feelings. I didn't know why. And then I realized, oh, because my father's dead. You know, like, <laughs> but like, it's almost, I wasn't consciously understanding that it was Father's Day, but be, but the emotions were erupting inside me. And I just couldn't place it on anything until I realized, oh, this is a trend, you know, like it's, it's Father's Day, right? There's just there's something missing from my life. And, um, and it's the same thing with you in the sense of that those months are very important to the sense of your sadness and your trauma that you went through in the sense of your, what your body's still working through and remembering. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and it doesn't mean that grief dreams don't come other times of the year. It's just that they're more they're more vivid or they feel more like visitations, I think, around that time. And I won't swear to this forever. There might be a, a time in my life when it shifts and all of a sudden I've got grief dreams evenly spread across the year or maybe piled up at another time that starts to trigger like Mother's Day or something. But I've never um, never leaned on that too hard as a, a big trigger for my grief. But yeah, I do remember probably the first three or four months after she died as being some of the worst of my life. So it makes sense that when I sleep my brain falls back into that, especially because, and I think environment plays a huge piece too, but Chicago is a lot like where I went to college, which is what I went back to after my mom died. It was very snowy, very cold, very windy, just gross. Um, And, you know, after the holidays happen, there's not a lot that our brains need to do. There's not, you know, other holidays that are coming up really quickly or, um, people don't travel as much. You kind of go back to work in the daily grind, but even work is slower than normal generally between January and March. So there's more room. I mean, kind of going back to those like ideas floating in the ether, waiting for us to be available to them. It's almost like our, my brain is more uh, receptive 
to a grief dream or something that can be played out a little further or maybe more emotionally dense or heavy uh, when my brain isn't so busy during the day too. If I had to really try and take a stab at, at some reasoning behind this. Yeah, it's just overall, it's interesting and interesting to talk about, you know, because of the trends, because just like the dream itself, because it's a very interesting dream to have. Like I've never, I've had one dream where I was very emotional like that and I realized my dad was was dead and I was just crying in the dream. And that was actually when I was uh, wrapping up my PhD. But like that was the only time I've had something like that. And that's what kind of reminds me of what you're, you're going through in the sense that there's this emotion that's being released that in waking life you weren't really caught like really conscious of it and it it just came out so i think it's just overall i think it's really cool cool dream to have and i'm glad it made you smile at the end of it and what was the uh the last dream you've had recently yeah this is actually one that i shared on instagram um in my stories and i had a lot of people who follow my podcast coming back respond to it which was really cool um because the first thing i said was it's amazing to me how quickly and how painfully grief comes roaring back. I had an incredibly vivid dream of my mom last night. She gave me a ring that had the number one on top of it. I am her firstborn child. My sister received one that said two. My sister's her secondborn child. And my mom had a ring that said three because we were, I guess in my mind, we were like the three women of the family, um, like three corners of a triangle. Um, the three of us embraced and pecked quickly on the lips, which I thought was odd because in her mind, in my mind, and my sister's mind too, lip kissing is something done for romantic partners. Uh, we were all together at an event center or a church environment, and my sister was playing violin, an instrument she does not know in Waking Life, uh, and a choir's beautiful rendition of Canon in D, which if you don't know, is um, it's a very popular wedding song. It's the one that goes... It's that song. Um, and I heard this song in the dream, and usually dreams aren't audio for me. I can see things happening, and it's like words are telepathed to me i don't usually hear sounds but i remember like music filling my ears during this dream uh, as she played the violin and um for me this song this wedding song is a very personal song because um i i played canon and d for like my third grade piano recital and that was the moment in my life when i felt like my mom was the most proud of me because finishing that song uh, after having memorized and practiced it for four months, I looked up in the in the risers and the stands and my mom had tears in her eyes. And I don't know what she was envisioning, but I imagine it was something like my own wedding day or being able to put her kids through piano lessons when she never really got them for herself. But just this moment of like being really proud of this child that you're raising. And I just remember that feeling being relayed across the room. So the fact that it was this song that was playing as opposed to like the devil went down to Georgia. Weird. It was really significant. And then I remember hearing it as well. Mom and I hugged again and she tearfully asked why I never came to visit her. I never asked her to come visit me in Chicago. And I said, well, I didn't know that was something that you wanted. It never occurred to me to ask. And then after she hugged me again, I woke up. I went on uh, to continue in this post that I saw her so sharply in this dream and so vividly. She was wearing her signature day-to-day -day uniform of a comfy white t-shirt and jeans with a belt. Her hair was short but big, just like she liked it, and there were no traces of cancer in her at all. And I don't know how I sensed this in the dream, but I knew it was true. Uh, and it was neat because she just showed up as my mom to say hello and to hug and to kiss me and to give me a gift and to have me listen to some beautiful music with her. 
And then I went on again to say, I love these dreams, but I curse them because I wake up and think things like, oh, I'll just call her this afternoon. I'll ask her to come visit. I'll see her again the next time I get some time off work. I'll ask her to come to Chicago to see me. And then this higher voice in the back of my brain says softly, no, Shelby, that's not how it works. Your mom is dead. So this uh, dream kind of launched me into a very active grief because I think the grief uh, or the dream was so strong that I totally forgot she was dead. Like I, I felt her, I saw her, she was wearing what she always wore. She like, I, I felt like I could even almost smell her. And then I was hearing sounds too. So I was having this experience where I literally was, I felt transported somewhere else. And then she gave me this ring, this physical object. And I felt like I could, I could feel it in my hands. Like I woke up and I feel like my fingers were pressed together. Like I was holding a ring in between my thumb and my first finger. Um, and it was like the most bizarre experience ever um, and I called it, I said, this dream is such a stupid divine visit slash living torture. I thank the dream gods for giving it to me, but I shake my fist at them too for not being able to make it a reality, even if my mom and my sister's actions and abilities were out of character. Oh, that's so interesting. But you're right. Like some of these dreams, they, like we think they're real. When we wake up, it's, it's a stark reality that they are dead and we don't get a chance to invite them. Yeah. And I was pissed. Like I was mad. Um, I, I just had this like, cause I was floating when I came out of the stream, I was like, wow, that was so cool. And I could still hear this music kind of like fading out. And like when she hugs me in dreams, she means it. Um, and it's probably only happened. I mean, if I had to guess maybe four or five times since she's died. Um, I remember another dream I shared on the first episode, I was on grief dreams where she hugged me and, uh, and it just, I think that's one of the things I miss the most about my mom being alive because she was like a bona fide hugger. She was not afraid to to go in for it with anybody. And even when she and I were like duking it out at the end of our relationship together before she died um, about my sexuality, about why I didn't believe in God, about kind of everything that mothers and daughters can clash heads over. Even then, when she hugged me, I knew she still loved me. Like, even when the words were gone and we weren't fighting anymore or the fight had been put on hold, I was like, oh, you still hug me. You still love me. And that's the thing I miss the most is just like the way she feels and like takes up space. So, to be hugged in a dream is just a very vivid experience. So, I woke up feeling hugged and like the music, I, I don't know. It was this whole, it was a full sensory experience. And I usually don't get that when I dream. And so, I felt like it was more, um, a visitation than anything. And I think that's what separates that for me. People talk about dreams versus visitations. And for me, visitations are more full body, sensory. I can hear, I can smell, I can touch, I can, I don't know about tasting. I don't think that's ever happened, but, but something where like, I literally am experiencing this with my whole body instead of sleeping with pictures in my head. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you do find it time to separate the two because i think it's important to because you know like some people that maybe all they have is those visitations but it's good to be have discernment on you know what is more real than real and maybe what's more a dream and just the mind you know working some stuff out for you so i think it's it's and day, day it's pretty cool it's cool you heard some music in it and that's three three amazing grief dreams from you. Again, you're just full of these things. Who needs a partner anymore now, right? 
you got this yourself. <laughs> Although if when it happens, it's really cool. Uh, whether it's in waking life or or dreaming life, people come to me like, I had a dream about your mom. Or if they're like, your mom's talking to me, I feel like, and then they deliver a message anyway. And sometimes it's spot on. And sometimes I couldn't place it for the life of me. I'm like, maybe it'll just come later. The meaning will. But yeah, um, the dreams always show up. And something that helps, something that you recommended actually, is that I keep um, I keep writing my dreams down. Uh, whether I, it's like a note in my phone, it's just a long running list of all the dreams I've had and, or I'll start sharing them in your group or on uh, my Instagram page. Or if I see anybody within the first like half hour, hour of my day, I'll tell them about the dream I had. And it just kind of like solidifies that that's what it was and makes it more real. And even if it's a nonsense dream, like we were all dressed as nuns riding bumper cars at Coney Island. Like, even if it's that I'm like, okay, that, that helps with the recall a little bit to have to put it down into words. And I think I just have vivid dreams anyway. I, I don't know. I've always had that. I've never been in a state where I'm just not dreaming for more than, I don't know, two, four weeks at a time. Never been in a, a dream drought. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. As we wrap up the show, we always ask one question. You already know what it is. <laughs> so what kind of dream do you want to have tonight if you could? Oh, this is um, this is different than the first one. I know the first one I shared was like a my wedding day with my mom and what that would be like. But this one, I've been missing her hugs a lot lately, which I spoke about um, just a little bit ago. And the very first dream I had about her after she died, I shrank down to my toddler size self and took a nap with her on the couch. And that was like one of my favorite things to do as a kid was sleep with her. But now if I could have another dream and like play how it all goes out, I would love to shrink back down to like my infant or like my baby self like before I had memories and watch her taking care of me as a very 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 small child because I know for a fact hearing from her and then hearing from the rest of my family members too that all she ever wanted to be was a mom and just to be in the same room as like a witness of her taking care of me as a very small child and then feeling that physical touch too of you're literally being wrapped up by this by this mothering like nurturing presence it's just so comforting to me and I think too as I as I get into my mid to late 20s I'm like I don't think I ever want kids of my own but I'm fascinated by the bond of motherhood the older I get and I see it around me more often and I'm like oh what is that really like what does that feel like and I would want to feel it as her and I would want to feel it as me so like as the giver and the recipient so I would want to just like take in all of the energy that's coming from that room and the thing that I'm picturing right now is there's this very old rocking chair that was in I believe my mom's grandmother's house or something, but she had it reupholstered and that was the rocking chair that, that she rocked both me and my sister in and my dad did too. And then when she died, it has stayed in our family. It's gone to one of my uncles who either reupholstered it or refinished it or something. But so, and now he has grandchildren. And so the lineage of people who are related to my mother all being rocked in this chair is like very vivid. And I remember like where that chair was in our house and you know, the tables and stuff and the lamps that were around it. So just like being in that setting and just like being held by her and wondering what it was like to really her baby. That's interesting. It's almost like to relive a memory that you don't have. Yeah, like time travel. Like yeah. I would love to remember what that's like because unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of our, our memories don't really kick in long term until between the ages of like two and five. And so I remember my first memory being at Disneyland when I was three and being scared of one of the rides. But uh, 
I don't remember anything before that. And I think that a lot of what I miss from her is a lot of that connection that was formed before I could even remember or speak or, or ask for anything, you know, just being there and being taken care of. And I think a lot of that too connects to that higher desire and grief of just knowing that everything's going to be okay. And that I am ultimately taken care of by myself, by my friends, by my family, by the universe. But just like, you know, sometimes you just like need that presence in your life telling you that everything's okay and you don't have to worry because in grief you do so much. It's exhausting. So to just sit back and be able to to receive that energy would be really cool. And then just to get inside her mind of like what it's like to finally be a mom, especially being her firstborn. I have a little bit of pride. I was like, I was the one that made you a mom. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Um, so I imagine there was just a ton, a ton of love there that, that I received, but never got to remember feeling. And I would love to remember what that felt like. That's a beautiful image. And, uh, I think those hugs were a small, a small part of what went on when you were a baby, when you were a child, you know, when you're, when you're at that age, security and, and feeling comfortable is so vital and, and mothers understand that. And so that's why I think like napping or hugging with your mom and coming back to her after, you know, because they shelter you from like that outside world and uh, protect you when you want to be protected. And, and that's what makes a healthy baby. And I think like you could just hear that love coming through um, in, in what you're even what you're describing now is, is that you miss her. You miss that love and you miss that being comforted and having that in the back of your head. And it just reminds me even of my life of where like when you're, doing your thing and you, whether you're in college or university or you're expanding, you're traveling and moving far away from them. I think, you know, that that's the age to do that. And you sometimes forget that like, you know, your, your parents are still, uh, they still have, they still have you in their mind as, as a, as a baby sometimes as a kid. And so maybe that, that was that yearning for your mom to come see you in Chicago, but you didn't really recognize it maybe at that time. I've done it to my parents a ton of times <laughs> where I don't recognize, uh, you know, that that bond and, and that love. And I don't give them what they need. But at the end of the day, they are your parents and they forgive. And uh, I'm sure forgiveness was in that dream as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, um, it was funny to me how the word that's coming to me is innocent. Like how innocent it all was. She's like, why did you never ask me to come visit you? I was like, I didn't even know you wanted me to. So, and it was, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't defensive or insulted or anything like that. I was like, oh, that just idea never occurred to me. Um, and I think it was her reminding me too. She's like, you know, no matter where you move, you can still ask me to come with you. And that was, that was pretty cool. Cause I moved uh, to Chicago about seven or eight months after she died. She died in December and I moved in July. And uh, while I took a lot of her things with me, I set up like a little altar, like a shrine on one of my dressers with her photo and a couple other things with it. I don't know that I ever formally asked her to come visit me or like gave her the grand tour of my house like I would if she was alive. So that's something that I, uh, I literally woke up and I was like, you know, you're invited. And so whatever sign she wants to give me now that she's here, whether waking or dreaming, I'm totally open to. I like that. And sometimes that's all it takes is just, you know, setting the intention for an open invitation. And you've done that. You're honoring your mom in that capacity. And that, that also relates to dreams, you know, setting the intention to invite your loved one to come in and be in your dream with you. So hope you get that tonight. 
And uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful podcast, Shelby. Um, again, would you be able to shout out your handles and where people can find you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my website, which is essentially the hub for everything, is shelbyforsythia.com. And that's Shelby, like the car, or Steel Magnolias, S-H-E-L-B-Y. And Forsythia, like the flower, F-O-R. S-Y-T-H-I-A. Um, and the episode, if you'd like to listen to the Pizza Dream in more depth, is episode 73 called There Just Ain't Words to Explain This. Uh, and my guest that came on actually had something called a shared death experience, which I would get between like a dream of visitation and a spiritual awakening. You just have to hear it to believe it, but it's pretty incredible. And then of course, uh, I interviewed uh, Joshua on the show too. And I believe he was one of my early episodes, probably episode uh, 20 or less. Let's see if I can pull that up really quick right here while we're talking. Uh, but my Instagram handle is at grief guide Shelby for Scythia, And then on Facebook at uh, Shelby for Scythia intuitive grief guide. And yes, Joshua's on uh, episode 31 talking about his dreams too. So it's a place for dreams coming back is, but it's also a place for the wider uh, experience of grief too. Amazing. Thank you so much. And again, you've reminded me how hungry I am by saying pizza again. <laughs> I'll get you some. <laughs> I know. I wish. <laughs> I'm going to die. Um, all right. So you can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. Uh, we did have a donation button and our perks to, the, perks to those who donate. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group and you can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others like Shelby on that uh, page. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And uh, as always, we like to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.